an 18 year old boy does not slot nicely into a you know, at a mining camp generally they've got a lot to learn and they have to learn it very quickly they don't make concessions on the drill rig you learn very quickly and you have to become a good worker you have to focus you have to realize other people are relying on you i think a lot of younger men need that sort of experience the really interesting thing is i look back at that kid really and i'm quite impressed about how strong he was in the end and i look at him and i'm really quite impressed and i don't know if i could do that again and also i think i'm really lazy compared to him these days welcome to the beers with a minor podcast My name is Mad Mumsy and I've been driving the huge dump trucks in Australian open cut mines for over 10 years now. I wish I had a dollar for everyone who said to me, how does a little thing like you drive those big trucks? Oh, you must be rich. How do I get a job doing that? My mining friends are asked these questions all the time too. This is what started the Mad Mumsy journey to share stories and tips from living a mining lifestyle and to let others know what it's really like. Tune in each episode as I sit down for a relaxed chat, usually over a few beers, with a fellow miner. Women and blokes with various experience, roles and opinions share their lessons and stories with you. Not everyone is cut out to be a miner, but why not? What does it take to thrive and survive in this industry? Now, let's dig in. Get it? Dig. Mining. I crack me up. Hello, my name is Mad Mumsy. Thank you so much for joining me for another Happy Hour episode. In this chat, we talk with Brett Jenkins. He's the author of the book, A Boy Miner. You may have already seen it and perhaps even read it. But this conversation is something that went a lot deeper. And I really enjoyed talking to him and digging in (laughs) to his story and how he got into the mines to start with at 18 years old, after being way out of his comfort zone and just chucked in there underground pretty much as a driller. So if you want to hear some good underground stories, we have a few for you in this chat. But it's quite reflective. And we also discuss about his challenges. Should he leave? Should he stay? Why did he leave in the end? He had a few changes while he was actually working, which might happen to you. You go in, say you start as a driller, but you might end up working as something else. And that is actually quite common and you might not have any choice in the matter. So it was really interesting to talk with Brett about that. I really enjoyed the part where we were talking about the effects that absence and isolation can have on workers and their families, especially on a young fella who hasn't got a girlfriend yet or he had one but you know did he keep her and marry her you'll have to listen to this episode with Brett I really enjoyed it I want to get in so sit back and relax just you me and Brett and enjoy this chat hello in this happy hour episode of beers with a minor podcast I am chatting with Brett Jenkins author of a boy minor and now a stay-at-home dad Hello and welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And I'm excited to finally hear all about your mining journey, why you were inspired to write your book, A Boy Miner, and what it's like for you now being a stay-at-home dad and we'll uncover this as the story goes on, but um, what else you're doing as well other than just that. Not that just being a stay-at-home dad is a thing I know 
being the stay-at-home mum, well, I know what that was like. So, um, But before yes. we do that, as this podcast is called the Beers with a Minor podcast, I like to start these happy hour episodes with my guests sharing their favourite beverage and also their favourite time to enjoy it. It could be a beer, wine, spirit, or perhaps even a cup of tea. What is yours, Brett? Well, at the moment, I'm, I'm just enjoying a uh, Bundaberg ginger beer. That's what, what I'm drinking mostly at the moment. And I like to have it probably Friday afternoons is a good time. I will probably prefer when the footy season's on even more. That's a good time to have one. Do you have it in a glass with ice or just in the – because that's in the little stubby – brown bottles isn't it the Bundy ginger beer yeah just straight straight from the stubby straight from the stubby yeah I just used to drink VB cans and that was that was fine with me (laughs) nice and simple oh VB oh I only drink them when there's no other beer left (laughs) 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 but I have been known to drink a few in my day because I drank all of mine (laughs) um so you said footy there you're based in WA so I'm assuming that would be yep. AFL football, not soccer, surely. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the West Coast Eagles is our team. The Eagles, is, uh, is that their song? Is that their theme song? The Eagles is my team. Is that their theme yeah, song? Yeah, something like that. Close. Something like that, isn't it? <laughs> I've, um, yeah, I go for the Brisbane Lions because I'm based in Queensland. Oh, yeah. But controversially, I also have another team and I go for the Adelaide Crows because I grew up in South Australia. So now I've got two teams and I've had that many arguments with people, you can't have two teams. Like, well, I can. I can have as many as I want. <laughs> There's no rules. That is true. Well, we try, we, a lot of us over here tried to be a Frio supporter and an Eagles supporter and that has not worked. So you, you stick with one team, keep the rivalry up. That's like trying to be a Port Adelaide supporter and a Crows supporter. Not going to happen unless you're the Premier and you have to kind of keep everyone voting for you. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So do you go to the football? Yep, we're we're members, so um, we we go every fortnight. So we're looking forward to the season starting again. All right, so let's talk a little bit about mining. So... As the book title would suggest, A Boy Miner, you um, started very young in the mines, as did my sister, actually. She was 18 when she started as a cleaner. Um, So would you like to share with my listeners how you got into mining and what you were doing and how old you were? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, I was 18 when I started and I'd finished high school and I was kind of a, I had a, what we might describe as a gap year. Um, So I was going to go to uni and um, my uncle just sort of offered me a job. He said, oh, um, because I was looking a bit sort of um, lazy, I suppose, maybe at home and I wasn't doing much and he sort of offered me a job. I was really lucky. And I was a bit wary because I was a very, I was young and I was a very skinny kid. I weighed about 65 kilos, I think. And, um, I mean, he was, he's a pretty big guy himself. And I thought, well, that's not really going to be me. And it was fly and fly out. But um, it was a hard opportunity to knock back. And he told me how much money I could earn. And I just I just said, okay, I'll have a go. Um, and, uh, yeah, so then I... I 
I went along, you know, I was the youngest there probably by at least maybe six to eight years, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, was, uh, I didn't sort of really, uh, I look back now and realise how young I actually was and quite naive and, and maybe unprepared just for, just for living away from home even, which was, um, you know, I, I was still living with my folks. Um, so moving away for two weeks. Um, and being very, um, you know, working amongst men. I mean, it was it was just men at the site that I was working with. Um, so it was it was a very strange strange experience. Very um, uh, I had to grow up quite quickly. Mm, uh, yeah, definitely. And back then, twenty years ago, different story. The way it is now, a lot more women out there. There's a lot more um, strictness, if that's the right word about how you all deal with each other back then even when I started well that's getting on 20 years in the end I suppose um people could yell at you they could you know be racist discriminatory discriminatory everything you can't now you can't in most places you shouldn't be allowed to get away with it they could just treat you however they wanted back then and you had to either try and stand up and give it back or not deal with it really and leave or sadly a lot of people just can't hack it and um, commit suicide and, and stuff, which is heartbreaking, but it's a reality and that's exactly why I do what I do and my podcast is so that when people go in, they can go in with more open eyes as to what it can could be like out there and if they're even cut out yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, when I've been, so I, I, after I'd finished the book um, and I had some people ask me questions about what I think about it, why did I do it and that sort of stuff, um, and I've, I had to think a little bit more about about my goal for the book. And it's funny, in WA particularly, and it's probably a lot like uh, maybe in Queensland as well, is the expectation that mining is a job that everybody could do and everybody has the opportunity and I mean, nearly every family has something to do with mining. So it's really interesting that no matter your personality, you would go and do fly and fly out, and that's um, definitely not suited for everyone. And I and I would myself say I was never really suited to it, um, but it was a it was a very good opportunity. It's a, it's a really good opportunity for anyone who maybe isn't going to university or isn't doing a trade. You didn't need to have necessarily the educational background. So it was open for everyone, but not everybody could do it um, mm. or should do it. And that's why there is, without getting into the sort of the, some of the negative aspects too early, but there is a lot of divorce. There was a lot of uh, drinking. There's a, you know, There was a lot of issues. And I think uh, that's because there's a lot of people working there that were doing it because of expectations um, and their family did it. But I think I th- found it a very hard life working fly and fly out. For me, that was the really the equaliser between all all the people who worked in the mine, no matter what job they were doing, uh, being away from your family for those two weeks. Um, you know, everybody felt that sort of stress. And, uh, you know, and no matter what age, uh, I mean, I was quite young, and I, but I know some of the, the family men particularly uh, that I worked with, you know, that would have been really hard. Uh, especially when I reflect on that now, as a as a dad myself, um, twenty years on, it would have been would have been very tough. But again, it's one of the uh, more popular opportunities in WA. 
you go mining. It's um, you know, and you can make some make some pretty good money. I I totally agree with you. The same, very similar here in Queensland as well, and even to a certain extent in New South Wales, because they've they've got a lot of coal mining down there as well. But there's, I suppose, not to the extent, especially here where we are, like Central Queensland. Say if you're Central Queensland, mining is such a huge part part of life and I know WA like like you say with all of the um so many people connected in 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 one way or another to mining and you and you said earlier about when he told you how much you could be earning and thought of money that you just can't get if you like you say if you haven't been to college you have or uni you haven't got a trade um, in the real world, per se, it's something that, like me as a mum who'd worked in a pet shop, could go and earn a hundred thousand dollars just by rocking up there with no experience and learning how to drive a truck and all the other machines and that later. So, what was it that you did when you first went in? Uh, well, I first started as a underground underground uh, driller's offsider. I then uh, moved on to a drill myself and. Um, one of the one of the events that occurred to me, I had a, I got a hernia while I was on the drill rigs, and they um, and uh, they said okay, they put me on a truck for a day, and I <laughs> just to sort of light duties. Um, they said, oh, and then um, then the, the really they just sort of said, oh well, actually you're just going to be a truck driver from now on. So mm-hmm. I was just changed changed immediately from being on the drills onto the trucks, and which is. Uh, which uh, I do discuss a bit is uh, the the drilling side and the the mining side. We might describe as the mining side. They're quite different, quite different areas. And um, it was a it was a quite a, quite a big shift because the the drillers do kind of stick together a bit. Um, the miners stick to the together. Uh, so yeah, I was really just thrown onto a, what felt like a very different crew. So I drove trucks for a year, and then I was working on the service crew, which they run. Things like vent bags, the uh, water lines. Uh, they help with the, uh, ca- all, the all the cabling, um, sumps. You know, they do quite a lot of jobs, of putting up fans and things like that, which I, I quite enjoyed that job. It was a bit more uh, diverse. Yeah, so but that's really the the scope of what I was doing. And with the hernia, as a driller, because there's a I, I don't know if this is just a perception I have. I've seen drillers. I totally agree that they are normally in open cut anyway, a smaller a smaller crew. They they drillers definitely stick together. We used to call them stinking bloody drillers. <laughs> but some of them were my best <laughs> friends, you know, <laughs> like we were bonehead <laughs> truckies <laughs> to them. But, um, you know, we all have our little, our little words. But. The hernia, is that because it was like a really physical job for those that don't know that it, how physical it can be? Well, it can, it can be very physical. Um, and there's, um, if, you're, if you're a, as I say, I was a quite a, quite a, I've got a pretty small frame. So um, there's a lot of twisting movements. There's a lot of, lot of things you could do just if you're slightly wrong when you're working with, say, 15, 20, 25 kilo rods, um, thereabouts, you can just do something slightly wrong 
and um, yeah, you can you can hurt your back. You can you can do lots of injuries. Um, there's a lot of lot of downtime, or there's a lot of time when the drilling happening, and there might not be much work. But if you have a rod pull, that is quite quite intense. One of the rigs I worked on, you had to pull the pull the rig out by using a set of stilsons and just basically latching on and just trying to yank them out of the wall because the holes were very deep. Um, so very easily to get an injury. I didn't actually know how I got my hernia. Um, mm. It just sort of appeared and. Um, but uh, but um, so I, it could have been from something else. But um, yeah, it was during my stint at, away, and it just there was a bulge there, and I, and um, I had to tell them about it. But yeah, it's, it can be very very intense, and it's one of those one of those jobs, and quite a few um, or a lot of mining jobs, especially underground, when you when you're racing to get. Um, get it ready for the blast, you know, it can be quite intense. In drill on the drilling side, it's when you're getting doing a rod pull or you're changing and changing it out. It's very t- intense again and it's you're trying to go quickly and you get paid by the meterage as well. So you're always trying to trying to make a bit more money, try to go as quick as possible. Yeah. So it's not always you're not always maybe taking care of your body as you should. And sadly that's when shortcuts can happen and also accidents and Little little things can happen along the way, but as well as injuries, did you end up having your hernia operated on, or did it just like go away? No, no, I had to. I had to have an operation. So, um, and that's when I when I came back on light duties. Um, that's when they said, "Oh, and what actually happened was that they put me on light duties for a for a stint, and then they sent me back underground straight onto a drill rig." one of the harder drill rigs for some reason, mm. and I felt another twinge. I told them about it, and then they, that's when they put me on the truck. They yeah. said, uh, well, uh, we're moving you on, basically, So, um, which uh, I think I was uh, more frustrated about because it was, it was a pay cut more than anything. So um, <laughs> I, was, I was losing money. Which you're not out there <laughs> to lose money, are you? <laughs> it's not the no, plan. No. So... I mean, I... I I was just going to say, in my world, getting put on a truck for light duties, the, the track's that bloody rough and getting smashed with rocks and, and everything. That's the last place you'd go for light duties. They'd put us truckies on light duties. We'd go and do some filing in the office or something. Um, maybe drive around well, in my yeah. vehicle or just do one hot seat for an hour and then get out of the truck. But are the trucks underground? Is it quite a smooth track that you're on? Um, not necessarily, mm. I think, um, but, but the, I mean, for them, it was more about just as long as I'm not lifting anything above 15 kilos, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I did for light duties for a little while. I did, uh, well, little jobs like I did have to wash the boss's utes and I, <laughs> um, I sharpened up drill bits and I did, uh, so for, for a fortnight, I did some pretty, um, pretty ordinary sort of. Um, menial jobs, but um, but that's when it's, they sort of say, well, we want you to get off that, so we'll we'll put you on the trucks. But uh, yeah, it was it was really they just didn't want me to lift anything that was too heavy anymore. That's the difference about what's going on inside this crazy brain. Is a hernia is a yeah from lifting heavy things, whereas I'm thinking bashing around in a truck is more like if if you'd hurt your back, that'd be a different scenario. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The hernia, the hernia um, it didn't necessarily hurt that much, um, but it can lead to other issues. But, yeah. but the um, yeah, so it was but that's the thing. It was it wasn't really about um, they weren't wasn't about pain. It was more about re-injuring. That yep. would have been that would have been the issue. Yeah. Well, at least it sounds like they did the right thing as far as managing it. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I was quite happy because I didn't mind a change. Uh, one of the things that you get with truck driving underground, you get to see a lot more of the mine. Um, mm. I realised I hadn't. So when you when you work on the drill rigs, you go to one one sort of area, and it's usually a very quiet area of the mine. And um, so I got to see a lot more of what's going on. Actually, you know, I'd been working in a mine for about uh, probably two years, and I really didn't know much about what was going on on the mining side because they are quite separate. Um, so yeah, it was. It, I got to see a little bit more about what was going on. And do you get to come out of the hole as well? Like you get the stuff, take it outside the little creepy little portal. <laughs> Remember seeing them in yes, the high walls, yeah, yeah, little, yeah. like ooh, there's there's yowies down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's that's probably one of the nice things is you do get to come out of the hole, you know, for every run, yeah, um, and go drop it off and, and head back down. Um, probably the only thing that uh, was was is difficult about the portal as you go from sometimes you go from blazing sunlight straight into the dark, um, so it takes a bit of while for your eyes to adjust. Um, you can wear sunnies and things like that to help, but um, if a, if a ute's coming out just at that point when you're about to go in, and uh, it's kind of like a complete darkness, then uh, yeah, you've got to be a bit wary. I can totally relate to that actually. Where I go shopping, I go into the car park. The underneath car park, and there's a, there is a blinding yep. moment uh, where you just can't see anything. Like I hope no one's coming around that corner. And but now I've started just, I'm just going to have a bit of a pause moment here, <laughs> and just let my eyes catch yep. up because you just don't you you just don't know. So I, yeah, I can uh, totally relate to that. What was it like for you the first time you ever went underground as an 18 year old who <laughs> never been out from home much? Oh. It was um, it was very different than what I expected. Uh, it's much bigger. I think uh, one of my own experiences in an underground mine is when you if you go to Kalgoorlie, there's a the Hainault mine that you can you can go down. It's a it's a old it's no longer used, but um, yeah, it's very sort of tight sort of areas. Um, when you look at some of the shaft mines as well, um, you know it's, it looks quite confined. And I was a little bit worried about whether I was going to feel a bit claustrophobic or but then you realize yeah they're, they're driving trucks underground there's a lot of room to move mm. um and the the strange thing about it is for me when you when you go down there i don't think you really think about it much after that you you know every now and again i just thought oh, i'm a couple of hundred meters underground but other than that you just think of it as a quite a normal environment i don't know you get you get quite used to it and uh yeah, and as an as a work environment, it was just it was really um, it felt the same as probably anywhere that you work. Um, and if you don't look at the walls and you don't think about collapses or anything like that, which you don't necessarily do anyway, it was quite a normal environment. I think I felt a bit like that when I first started with the big trucks. Well, when I first started in mining, was just everything was big. Like everything's so massive. But the thing is, is everything's big. So the roads are big, yeah. the trucks are big, the graders are big, the diggers big. The only things that little are the troopies that we all had to get into. 
and the, yeah. the sky was big because, you know, you could just being out there in the middle of central, where was I, New South Wales then, and just looking up and to see all the stars and the, you know, everything was just huge, even the sky. I'll never, I'll never ever forget those, that first night shift round that I did. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then after yeah. a while, it's like, it's just another truck. It's just not like, <laughs> it, like you say, it becomes, it's your workplace. So whatever you're doing, you get used to it. Did you do yeah. night shift as well? Yeah, I, night shift, uh, I, I, I absolutely struggled with from the very beginning. I um, could not, could not get a good sleep. I think for the only, I mean, I worked, only worked um, in mining for four and a half years. It was in the end, and all of that was day and night shift. But I don't think I got one good night's sleep the whole time. And about when I was driving trucks, particularly, it was about I think about two or three in the morning. That's when I I just start needing to sleep. Um, and I, one thing I talk about in the book is this this moment where I have to call my levels as I'm going down, and then all of a sudden. I'd be at two or three levels down and I can't remember how I got there. Mm. So I'm in a sense just driving, sleep driving. And, uh, yeah, it's, and it was, um, I mean, it's lucky the traffic's a lot quieter on night shift, but, uh, yeah, well, I realised it was quite, really quite dangerous, but it was not, you know, we weren't necessarily encouraged to have a lot of breaks back then. Mm. Um, and I don't think a coffee or two or three coffees would necessarily make a difference. I just needed a decent sleep. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, yeah, and but the thing is, it's my, it's the body. You realize the body needs its sleep. It's very hard to change its pattern. Uh, some, some people can do it and some people can sleep very easily. But I think when you're working on that five, six hours and, uh, then driving, yeah, driving for 12 hours and just driving is, when you're going very slowly or, you know, or in the trucks where you've got the air con going or something, you know, it's sort of an environment where it can make you feel a bit sleepy anyway. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was uh, night, night shift was always quite tough. How many breaks did they let you have in those 12 hours back then? Did you get like two uh, hour breaks or one or? No, it was just the one one break for the for crib at um, sort of about one in the morning. Mm. Um, so yeah, you could, you could easily drive for five hours straight. The only thing I suppose that, that, uh, it breaks it up is that you're doing a lot more runs. So, uh, you know, when you get to the bottom, you might, you can wait a little bit, but that, that's the, it is, you're just sitting on your, sitting in the truck for five hours straight, have a break and then maybe another five hours, mm. um, at least. But, uh, yeah, you don't, and that, that was the, for me, Probably, I I wanted to really impress with my with the amount of loads I got as well. So I wasn't willing to take a break, and I think a lot of people would like that. You want to get if you want to get a promotion, you need to come up at the end of the shift with the most amount of loads out. So the idea of pulling off, uh, you know, going going to the mess and grabbing a grabbing a coffee was never really entered my head, um, mm. and uh, didn't want to sort of see show that I was kind of like, oh, I need some time off because that, that was really sort of discouraged, I suppose. Um, but that, that was also something I, I, I would set for myself maybe. Yeah, that's it. You're competitive with yourself. As for, for a lot of people, that's how they uh, manage to be able to keep doing it is to 
find the little yeah. the little things in what they have to do over and over and over and over again to make it um, like for you if it's competitive with the other people or or whatever. I've, I found that a lot in um, in the open cup as well. You know, I grew up racing mini bikes. So a lot of times it was kind of like, oh, that she's catching, you know, he's catching me. He's not going to get me at the dump and all of that. <laughs> at first when I was learning, I'd pull over at the dump and let them pass me because they were scaring me. They were stalking me out and I needed to think and concentrate and take my time. And that was one yeah. of the best tips I got. If someone's doing that, just pull over up at the dump, let them go, let them go. Because some people just want to race yeah. the whole time, you know, breaking yeah. all the rules. Yeah. You know, I remember one time at this one band camp, as I say it, we had this new digger, three new trucks, and they put us three ladies on the on the circuit and we were all really competitive and we were trying to get the best. It was a night shift. There was no one around. And I was like, and I'm like, yeah, but the other two girls just ended up with that couple extra loads for the day or the night. And I found out later they weren't stopping at the stop sign. There's a bloody stop sign on the hall. I'm like, what? Fucking what? <laughs> I said, no, nah, not that competitive because at that exact intersection, I um, nearly went, I'd stopped, I nearly went to pull out and a light vehicle full of my crew went past in front of me that I hadn't seen. If that had been a giveaway sign or if I'd chosen not to stop at that stop sign, I would have got them. And ever since then, I'm like, no, nah, stop yeah. sign's there for a reason, mate, because... You can't see, especially in our trucks, they're so high and the light vehicles are so low. And if they're moving along a road as you're coming towards the road, you just they just stay in the blind spot with you as you're all moving. It's not till you stop that you see yeah. it. Well, they probably see yeah, that because yeah. we're so big. But, yeah, I, oh God, that's taking competitiveness too far. You want to stay safe and do whatever it is that gets you through. Well, now that I'm a bit older, I'd I'd be much more casual about it. I'd probably I wouldn't be so I wouldn't be some, so competitive, and I'd probably I mean my my goal I was competitive, but I I just wanted to earn my money so that you know I can um, maybe you know because I was always sort of thinking I just want to earn my money, maybe um, buy a house, something like that. Hopefully, get close to paying it off so that I could maybe finish up. Um, mm-hmm. So it was always for me is about promotion, trying to trying to uh, to set myself these goals, which also made it a little bit easier to go back to work. If I didn't have a, if I, you know, that the fly out day when I had to go back out to the mine, I was always quite, quite depressed. I wasn't much fun to be around. So I always had to remind myself why I was going out there um, with those targets. Yeah. The, and uh, I, I, there was a lot of rash decisions. I think I, you know, a couple of times where you take a corner and there's been mud on there because someone's been bogging around there and you say, I'll just see how it goes. I'm a bit more of a defensive driver these days. If mm-hmm. I was if I was on the truck, it'd be a bit different. But, uh, yeah, and it was and the truck drivers were also competitive because nobody wants to – I mean, the truck driving was okay, but you, as soon as you can get promoted to service crew, charge up or the boggers, you earn a lot more money straight away. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody – you know, being on the truck is – was um, low, much less stress, and uh, compared to say the much more intense jobs like charge up, for example, which was really full on. And service crew could also be a lot of work. Um, but if you wanted to earn money, and you know you're going to be away for two weeks, you may as well try and earn as much as you can. Mm. Um, 
do you think a big part of that competitiveness too was because you were so much younger than everyone else and you were trying to prove yourself a little bit? Uh, there was, uh, but I, I can I tell you what, one of the one of the things that I sort of developed was a, was a work ethic as well. As an 18-year-old, I was so lazy, entitled. Um, I had no idea what real work was. I'd never worked a full day in my life, and then all of a sudden <laughs> I was doing these 12-hour shifts. And I became, I, I did come, sort of become competitive in the sense that um, I wanted to, I did want to impress some of the older blokes. And I realised they had a lot of expectations on me, but it was it was a lot of it was for me as well. Um, and I yeah, I, I mean I, I, I unashamedly would say it was about the money more than anything. <laughs> and as I say, that's that's the carrot when you're working fly and fly out. The you know earning as much as you can so that you can really um, come enjoy yourself when you go home uh, because you you have because um, you feel like you're you know you felt like you would. Uh, making quite a quite a big sacrifice as well, spending you know spending that time away. So you want to make it as worthwhile as possible. A bit of healthy competition is also good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you said the the goal was to go out there and as much as you could get a house, maybe pay it off. Is that what happened? Yeah, I got got very close. Yep, yeah. um, well it was manageable Yay. where I could. could have, <laughs> Thanks. Um, I had a couple of a couple of other things help me out. I, I got a, a little payment from a from an injury that I had elsewhere, um, but uh, I really saved my money. It's it's interesting. The the that's because I was so much younger. I really saw um, there was there was some blokes who had been out there, you know, in, well into their sixties, and the. The, what what I saw in them, some some of the guys. I mean, some. I mean, I talk a lot about how there's very different personalities. Some people really love it. Some people, and that's the place they should be. Some people just seem to be there because of money, which is a bit like me. Some people just expected. They fell into it. But I saw a lot of people who were who were still doing the job. They'd been divorced. They'd they were paying alimony, and they'd remarried. They got divorced again, and so for me, I thought if and I and I, at the time, I think I was trying to find myself a girlfriend, and I just thought this is really tough. And uh, I, I mean, I learned a, a few lessons from probably some of the some of the guys who I would sort of say, well, maybe they're not doing it how I would want to do it. I and I, that's why I set myself self a target. It was also really for my really for my own mental health. I mean, I was when I was coming home, I was. Uh, very depressed. I mean, the first night I was back and I was wealthy. You know, I would party, have a lot of fun, and then you realise, you know, all my mates, all my schoolmates were at work, and I didn't really yes. catch up because I was a lot younger than the other guys. So they were, and we were living in sort of different areas. So I was actually coming home, and I was by myself. <laughs> What's oh, that? sorry, I was, yeah, I was married. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, you got your schoolmates who are at school. Other people you know are at work and your crew, they're married seeing their family. So you're stuck in the, yeah. just there with you and yeah, all this yeah. money. And <laughs> yeah. And so that's then coming home wasn't, uh, wasn't as much fun as well. And you, for me, you're really out of step with what everybody else was doing. So 
uh, I, I talk about, you know, some of my mates had joined a indoor beach volleyball and um, just, just a little thing like that, you know, feeling, you know, a bit part of that community and uh, you realise you sort of miss out on that and everybody's got their things on. Then I, I sort of noticed that um, maybe I was coming home and I was actually disrupting some things. Um, and I think a, a lot of the dads that I work with as well, they were felt like that as well. They'd come home and um, to their families and they were, they were really hoping that, um, you know, they were really looking forward to this. But they would come home and there, was, there were a lot of routines that were really important for their kids. And I, th- I think a lot of them sort of felt like they were a bit out of place and trying to find what their what their role was. So I think for me, one of the reasons I, I had always set that goal of leaving Fly and Fly Out particularly was that my breaks weren't enjoyable anymore. Which um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's what you really look forward to. But if you're yeah. not if you're not enjoying that, maybe you're not enjoying yourself in the mind, then it's time to leave. Yeah, that's, that's what I, definitely what I realised. So for four and a half years, you did it for. Yeah, yeah, which um, uh, I've, I've seen some comments when I've sort of advertised my book and some people sort of say, oh, only four and a half years. I think that was enough. <laughs> I've, I've worked with, uh, I worked with one guy who was in his, he was about 50 and uh, I tell, tell this story in the book. He, um, he was only there for one stint and he left. He couldn't oh. handle it. Um, yeah. this, it happens a lot. I've got a whole podcast episode and it's in my course as well. It's five newbies on I know and why they quit. They were five people desperate to get that dream job in the mines and then went out there and went, oh, what? Nah, for whatever reason. There were yeah. lots of different yeah. reasons. But um, I guess until you try it, you don't, you don't know for yourself. But I think that's a huge, a huge point to make and I try to make that as well. If you're out there and you don't like it, we don't have to stay. But caveat there is if you get those golden handcuffs on, like you were talking about, with the people having to pay for this and pay for that, and, you know, you've got, got the big mortgage, you've got another mortgage with another family and other kids, you've got all your toys and your boats and the you can't leave. You can't yeah. pay off everything with a real job in town. And so they stay and they hate it and take it out on everyone else because they just don't want to be there anymore. <laughs> but I, yeah. just going back to what you were saying about the guys or the comments about only being there for four and a half years, well, that's how long you were a boy for anyway. <laughs> you know, for all they know, the, yep. next, good, the next book could be <laughs> the, the man miner who chose to go back now he's grown up or something. Like you, you don't listen to people yeah. like that. But I can understand totally that people would make those sort of comments because I get all sorts of comments as well. So you just got to go, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's always that, that argument about who, yeah, and I've, I've seen one of your, your podcasts, who a real miner is. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I think it's, it's really sort of more entertaining than anything when, when people talk about that. And yeah. the, as I say, the leveller, is not whether you're, a, I don't think it was whether you're considering yourself a miner or not, but for me, the level was that we're all out at this mine site. We've all flown out here. We're, we're leaving our families for a couple of weeks at a time. We've all got that in common. Now for a word from our sponsor, Julia Hartman and the Bantax Accounting Group. 
Julia's my awesome accountant. She's written two books with financial expert Noel Whitaker, and she's got a passion to help us miners make the most out of our hard-earned cash. She's got heaps of tips and make sure that we get every cent we are meant to get and is right on the ball with everything. If you head to bantax.com.au forward slash miners, that's B-A-N-T-A-C-S, you can download a free booklet all just for us miners. And there's also a spreadsheet in there that helps you check off what tools you have for your trade, like your isolation lock, work boots, seven shirts, all of these sorts of things, and you can weigh them up and it'll tell you if you qualify weight-wise to claim your trips out to work. And that's just one of the things that they've got over there. So I strongly urge you to head to bantax.com.au forward slash miners and see what they can do and find your nearest office as we come up to tax time. They're really on the ball, know what's going on with the tax department and there's heaps of other free information like property investing. If you really plan on doing some great things with your money, you want to do that, right? If you want to sell your house, can save a lot of money if you find out what to do first rather than in hindsight. And Julia, she'll, you know, make sure you get it right. And if you do it wrong, and then go and see her, she'll she'll up you in the nicest possible way because she really cares about us and wants us to keep our money and not give it to the tax department. Anyway, head over to bantax.com.au forward slash miners and tell them Mad Mumsy sent you. Okay, so we just had a little uh, Mad Mumsy had to run next door and get a beer break. So here's my favourite sound in the world. Here we go. <laughs> so we've heard about your mining life up till then. What was it that finally made you take the leap and actually leave and give up that money? And what the hell did you do next? Uh, well, it was a very particular incident that uh, it was my, I, I had a relationship breakup um, and I realised that um, that if I wanted to have a relationship and I, you know, I, you know, I wanted to have someone to come home to and, um, or not even just someone to maybe start a life with, um, it really felt like that just wasn't going to happen. And you have to have a, you have to have really understanding partner to wait around for a few weeks. Um, but as I say, I was quite young. So at the time I, my girlfriend, she was, 1920 I was 2021 and a young woman doesn't want to hang around for two weeks waiting for their brilliant minor boyfriend to turn up about that everybody's sick of hearing about and I I could really imagine that for her it would have been really lonely yeah and we had a breakup and I sort of realized I said to myself all right I'm going to do one more year I'm going to earn my money and then I'm, I'm just going to have to leave again because I mean following the breakup when you're coming home and you don't really have anyone to come home to as well it um that made it quite tough um and i think for myself it was uh this idea of telling myself well i'm doing this for myself but maybe i'm doing it i'm sacrificing my life a little bit for my partner i'm thinking about my future um but if you if you lose sight of that as well it wasn't it wasn't going to be good for me i just thought oh well 
I'll, I'll give my, I'll set myself a year, and that's when I finished up. Do the whole year. Yep. Yeah, oh, that's good. It's a, it's a long countdown, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know someone who's well, well, on a countdown, a five-year countdown, and I think they've got two to go. It's getting there. Oh, right. Like that's the thing. Time does go, but it's how you deal with it in yeah. between. So in that time, in that year before you left, did you start making plans about what you were going to do next? Did you have a clue, or did you just what did you? Do? I had sort of said that I was probably going to go to university. Um, I had no real idea exactly what it was going to be. All I, what I was trying to do is I was trying to be make sure I was comfortable that I could probably have three to six months off without worrying about getting a job straight away. So, uh, so I prepared for that, and I, I spent that year really saving my money to make sure that I was comfortable enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I probably had another. Well, actually, I had a whole year off after that, and I did a little bit of travelling um, before getting into going to uni and sort of applying as a mature age student, which was really good. But the the what I had was, which is very similar to a lot of when we were coming back to what we were talking about, the golden handcuffs, is I came back like like many men with no skills. I had I had work experience, uh, but you. Say, say as a truck truck driver, I can't drive. I couldn't drive a truck on the road. I couldn't drive a truck anywhere else. It was really just for a mine site. Um, so you you're really coming back for me. I, I was coming back absolutely just a blank slate again. And for a lot of guys who work, you know, they work that job for a, for a long time. And if they are doing, you know, the truck driving or charge up or something along those lines, those those skills don't transfer. So I had I did have a year off where I had to re, really rethink. What am I going to do now? And I had to reskill um, because, yeah, because you the, your tickets from site don't don't transfer. They don't. That's right. And especially because you were so young when you started, so you hadn't even been and worked and done something like you were saying before you got out there. See, with me, I didn't start till I was nearly forty, so I had a few skills, even though by the time you know, I got to the point of wanting to leave. I, 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 most of those were outdated and all of the skills that I had from mining, like you say, can't be transferred. I couldn't go drive a grader in roadworks or anything because it's not a, it's not a, what I didn't even know what they're called, you know, a construction grader <laughs> on the roadworks grader, the council grader. Yes. I just drive them at, um, uh, on a mine site, but you can't drive them in, in town. I didn't want to either. I wanted to do something totally different. I was, now I just talk about it and <laughs> do other things. <laughs> um, so what did you choose to do? You went back to uni. What what did you study? Uh, well, I was going to I was going to do environmental science and I... Well, to make up for being a miner for all those years, go and save the world now. <laughs> I, I think I was also thinking that's it's a growth area. It but, certainly um, is, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, I'm not I'm not really a sciencey sort of person. I'm more of an arts sort of a person. So I did a, a philosophy unit and I did some some English units, and that's that's the funny thing. I I um I just said, well, I'm, I'm going to do something for fun, and so then I. I ended up staying and I did my honours and then I did my PhD in, in uh, literature and then I 
I ran some units. I did tutoring. Um, so yeah, something something really obviously very different, but but definitely in terms of my personality and the way I think that was that was what I you know the contrast. That's probably what I am suited to compared to my mining my mining days. They, they were just so different. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've, I did that for. Um, for a while, and then I, my partner and I had a child. She's a clinical psychologist. She earns a lot more money than I ever did, so now I'm stay-at-home dad. Oh, wow, what a journey. What a journey. Yeah, yeah. And so I can see, oh, oh, my brain's running here. So you've gone to uni and you're studying all this literature and a bit of psychology and you marry a psychologist. Is that when you started to really reflect? on your time in the mines and all the relationships and all the all the stories and all the personalities and how it all worked and went in with each other and the reflections on people and how we handle it and how we don't. Is that what made you start thinking, I should write a book about this? Uh, yeah, well, the I mean, uh, uh, you probably have the exact same experience. You've got uh, lots of little stories that you tell your friends and if you get a bit of a laugh out of them, then, uh, you know, it's, it's probably an all right story. Little bits here and there. And I know it sounds a bit cliche, but everybody says, oh, you should write a book about it. And I was sort of like, oh, yeah, but I doubt it. But then what I also started to see was, which was just so fascinating for me, is that everybody started talking about psychological problems in fly and fly out work, mm. and it was, it was sort of like for me, it was. I was just thinking, well, this was happening decades ago, and uh, it was almost like, well, everybody started to wake up and realise that there were um, uh, some issues surrounding this work away, working away. So I thought, well, maybe I'll I'll write a book about my experience, give my insights about how I handled it or how I didn't handle it. Um, and sort of giving a bit, what, what I really want to do, and this is what um, quite a few people have said they really like about it, was giving an insight into what it's actually like to work in fly and fly out um, on a, in a mine site. You know, what the what a donga looks like, what the what meal times are like, um, the difficulties of trying to communicate with your family. I mean, when I was doing it, that was before the internet, so... Mm-hmm. Just had the pay phones, and we had you had to stand around and wait for a pay phone. The line, um, yeah, and I mean, and just uh, just those little things that um, people don't understand what their life is like, and uh, and then and then people are sort of saying, oh, I don't understand why there's maybe some mental health issues arising, um, and as I say, there was there's there were quite a few, well, not a, a few alcoholics. There's, I would say, there's also now there's seemingly there a couple of drug issues that are coming up. There's also the divorce. There's there's um, alimony. There's you know a lot of breakdowns in families, and it's it's not a new thing. But I just so I just thought, well, I know a bit about this. So I can un, I can think I could write something about it. And I also felt confident in that um, probably probably not many miners get the opportunity or think about it, but I thought, well, I've, I think I could actually write this and give it a pretty good um, uh, representation. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't want to be have a sort of a ghost writer or, you know, tell my story to someone, they'll write it up for me. I felt, I felt confident enough that I could do it myself. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a number of things. And, but, but the, the idea that in sort of uh, 
in Perth, which started hearing, and, and we hear across Australia, that there are issues in the mines, and I just thought that was... I thought it was hilarious. There have there have been issues for yeah, a long time, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah, um, and I just thought, well, yeah, I, I can give my insights um, and uh, sort of explain and maybe help other people actually understand why there might be these issues. And also coming from a male's perspective, and someone who was so young as well, and then now reflecting back on it, I think that gives it even more um, more power behind the story because it's not just someone who wants to write a book to make money or anything like that. It's There's personal reasons behind it and it's because you care and it's because you did it and you want other people to know what it, what it, what it's like, what it can be like, and that's why I do what I do as well because people just think it's get a job in the mines, it'll fix everything, I'll be rich, I'll get all that time off, and that's all they know about. You know, they like you say, they don't even know what the inside of a donger is and they had all those inquiries into uh, suicide and FIFO and stuff and a lot of it came out that the with the induction processes and stuff, they don't even know what the camps look like. They don't realise they're going to be stuck in a dog box for two weeks. You might not talk to anybody. All of the, you know, <laughs> one of my episodes is all about laundry etiquette and what it's like <laughs> when you go in and... Um, someone's taking your clothes out of the washing machine and dumped them on top and, you know, stuff like that and what they do to them. You know, one in that story they said they put a stubby inside the washing machine to break them <laughs> because of um, they'd taken their clothes out so they threw that in there. And so uh, now here's a go, guys, don't do that. This is what you should be doing <laughs> and this is what could yeah. happen. And how are you going to deal with that sort of shit when you're stuck out in town? You think the whole crew hates you, your missus has left you, what's the point? And sadly, yep. people decide there's just no point and it's, it's horrendous, it's horrible and they're supposed to be making the onboarding processes much more friendly but I haven't seen a great deal of change, not from my point of view over here anyway. Yeah, it's a it's a really strange um, community. The um, you're you're stuck out there. You have no vehicle um, to go anywhere. I mean, you're you're um, especially when I was in the say the Tanami Desert. You know, there's nowhere to go. You can't um, just <laughs> sort of say, oh, even if you've got a push bike. You know, it's 45 degrees outside or something. You can't go too far. Yeah. Um, so you you have to really get along. But that's not the case necessarily. There's also, you know, it's a very for me it was a, it was a very masculine culture. It was um, yeah. If you so if you didn't quite fit in with, uh, if you didn't want to go to the pub, and I, I in the end I wasn't really going to the pub because I was saving my money. And um, yeah, you can be. I didn't really felt like I was ostracised, but at the same time you you know you there's a you start having sort of these maybe divisions between some groups. Yeah. You got maybe some mates and mates who are going to the gym instead, and um, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's a very, it's a, such a small group. Um, I always think the the funny part is that you also wake up at four thirty in the morning, you go to the mess, and you have to say hello to thirty people, <laughs> and you, you know, and everybody's friendly, and you and you say, but then at the same time, I know that I was in an absolute mood some days, and I and I had to be, I, you know, I might they might say hello to me and be generally friendly, and I might just sort of give them this really 
uh, whatever sort of a Runt. thing. You know, well, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not making their day any better either. But yeah, you can't escape it. You, you're sort of like, well, we're no, we're stuck here together. You better get along. And yeah, it's just there's just so much about the camp that, uh, yeah, beyond it, people don't really understand. It's um, which I which I always thought was quite interesting. And and you don't, uh, I know for myself, I didn't re- necessarily talk about it when. Uh, and there's not much to talk about on your day when you're working as well. My one of my girlfriend that I had, one of my first girlfriends, she. I'd, I'd ring her because it's always one way. She can't ring me. And she'd ask me, so what did you do today? And I'd just say, well, I, I drilled for 12 hours. I ate my dinner. I'm calling you and then I'm going to go to bed so I can try and get maybe six hours sleep. Um, and I'd do that for two weeks. So Groundhog um, day. I'll do the same yeah. tomorrow, groundhog day. Well, and so then if she told me maybe about the fun she was having, that'd probably make me a little bit more depressed and it's like, oh, I'd rather be rather be there. I mean, when you're 18 and, and it's Saturday night and you're on night shift, that was the greatest tragedy ever. Absolutely. And um, a big part of my sister's message, my listeners know her as the hard hat mentor, and she's done mining since she was 18. She's now younger than me and um ah, she won't mind me telling telling anyone that she's 30 years on we'll say (laughs) um but she's she's always she's got that personality where she's the annoying bubbly one that makes everyone say hello and she's singing a little song while she's making mess and people think who's that crazy lady you know um but if you're going to be there, try and do what you can to try and help it be get you through it and that's what gets her through it as well and she knows she's helping other people around her and I always like to think of the the cleaners and the people in the kitchen and that as well because they're, they're away from their families, they're working and you see people just throw the plates at them, you know, the one collecting all the dishes, getting piling up and up and up. And I always made a point of sticking my head in and giving them the play and saying, thanks, mate, see ya, you know, like not compliments to the chef usually because, you know, <laughs> but thank you for being here and just giving them a smile. And I've left little little notes in my donger at Easter and left them a couple of eggs and thanks for cleaning my room. And they're like, oh, thanks for the eggs. And it's just little things like that that we can all do in whatever your way is. I don't expect you to like me and my sister necessarily but at least for people to start thinking that it can get really crappy out there for people it might be you that it's getting crappy so what are you gonna what can you do to turn it around when it's starting to get like that do something stupid sing a song do something i don't know something i've um i've I've been thinking about it a lot lately what uh you know because i i can write a book and i can talk about how maybe unhappy I was and then I think I realised oh, I haven't actually given any, you know, what, what what could I tell people to do or what, what insights have I got. But uh, I, I think this, when on my fly-out day when I was going going to the mine, I was, you know, feeling pretty sorry for myself. But if if I was doing it now, probably what I'd, what I'd really work on is I'd have to figure out something that excites me about going to the mine, which might be, Say if I was if if uh, I mean if there was an indoor cricket pitch which we had at one of the mines or something like that is having having a some sort of competition that was going to be on after work 
um, or if we're going to the gym and, and I'm going to catch up with a, one of the blokes and, and um, you know, we've set ourselves some goals. So it's almost like, well, I'm looking forward to getting to work so we can get back into that, um, mm. which is it's, it's like, the, like the indoor beach volleyball, you know. That's what people have in their lives and they, um, they sort of uh, it's how they get together. And I think you need to have those sort of things when you're going to a mine site as well. It's not just I'm going back to work, but having some sort of uh, having that life and recognizing that you have that life, and making something more of it. Having having goals, setting. Uh, um, I mean, they, they didn't really have you know little things like I suppose you could have like quiz nights or something. I don't know. It's it's very hard to be specific, but there has to be some reason where you're going back and go. I'm looking forward to doing getting into this again, um, just outside of that, out of the job. You do have a little bit of time to do that sort of stuff and, and making the most of it, I suppose, is really crucial because and the less time, less you're thinking about home, the better as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's it's not kind of like that. It is your crew, especially when you're on the same crew for a lot of times, different if you're going to different sites and stuff, I suppose, but you they become family. So it's like you're going to see other family. Oh, I wonder how the wedding went. For JS, hi JS, one of my best listeners. Um, I wonder how I wonder how the wedding went. Oh, did he had? I saw on Facebook he had the baby. I can't. Or you know, she had the baby. His granddaughter. I can't wait to see all the pictures. So it's catching up with your crew as well, or sharing sharing with them now because we have our phones, and our you know you can take your photos out and all that. Um, the big fish that you caught on break. I know a lot of the guys on cruise I've worked, so it's been all about fishing and shooting pigs <laughs> up here. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. I, I hate, oh, and they know I hate that, guns and knives and stuff, but don't tell and don't show me any pictures of pigs. They knew that with me. Go away. I don't want to see. I don't care. Yeah, but Leah, look how big it is. No, get away from me. Oh, central Queensland. <laughs> Gotta love it. But I know there have been guys, and I've spoken to a couple recently actually, who don't feel like they can talk to people out there because they don't go fishing, they don't go pig hunting, they don't follow footy, you know, they haven't got a family. So they haven't got things to talk about with the crew. So they just yeah. don't and they feel ostracized. They don't go to the pub and have a beer. So but if you are yeah. one of those people, you don't, you shouldn't have to change to be like that, but find what is it while you're out there that you can do that you enjoy. It might be, I get to go out there and finish this book in peace away from everyone, or I've yeah. got, you know, or I'm going to study or because you get time in your dog, get time in your truck, you get time even at the crib heart with all, everyone's talk, dribbling all their crap that you don't want to know about. You can just lose yourself in a book. How do you think I started my podcast and my mm. website and everything? I'd, I'd just take out when it rained, open cup, so when it rains we don't work. I'd, they knew I was taking over half of one of the long tables, spreading out all my lists, got my iPad, I've got stuff to do here. You know, they'd laugh at yeah. me and they'd always end up coming over and give me some sort of something or other I could write about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. find your thing, whatever it is, to get you through. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, that's that. That's good advice. I would give myself from twenty years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's good. That. Oh, that melts my heart. So, any young fellows listening? I don't know how you found it, but good. Keep listening. <laughs> um. So, 
how was it 20 years after you'd left you chose to write the book yeah pretty close yeah um yeah i uh, i had a bit more time being being at home so i had a yeah i had a bit more time to think about it i had a had a, a friend of mine who i went to uni with she published a book and i read it and it was really inspiring and it was it was a fantastic piece of writing and i and i just said oh yeah i should have a go she cuz she was it was just impressive and i and i never really uh, necessarily felt like writing about Australia necessarily, um, but then I realised I've got this very Australian story in me, mm. or, you know, and I and her story was you know very it was Perth based, and it was just really gave a this wonderful insight into WA life as well. And I thought you know I I should have a bit of a go and uh, not try to emulate her, but um, you know she get she really inspired me to to try. So yeah, I think it was it was a matter of time. It was a matter of reflection. I think being a being a dad and and thinking about my son and trying to understand him, and then I'm looking and I one, one thing I tried to do in the book, I'm looking back at my younger self and trying to understand him, mm-hmm. um, why he was like that because he's he's very different to who I am now. I feel so it was it was a matter of it was a good amount of time to sort of say okay, I, I can reflect reflect more on who that person is and I think one of one of the things I I'm hoping with the book is that yeah some some maybe teenage boys read it and they get a bit of a you know maybe have a bit of a think about who they are as well because teenage boys in my own experiences having been one can be you know dickheads if they want to be I've got an 18 year old grandson and it's like so they, they think they know the world. They're they're yeah. reckless. Um, they're la- they can be pretty lazy, and that's why I sort of want to. I wanted this book to sort of show that I under, I'm trying to understand myself, who I was, and also sort of show well this you know, this is what the world can be. Maybe you, maybe you need to be thinking about who you are, how you're going to fit into it, um, because an 18 year old boy does not slot nicely into a you know, at a mining camp. Generally, they've got a lot to learn, and they have to learn it very quickly. They don't—they don't make concessions. Uh, you know, on the drill rig, um, I, I owe a lot of credit to my my driller Lee and um, and the the fitter, the drill fitter Dave, who I talk about in the book. They really got me into shape quickly. You learn very quickly, and you and you you have to become um, a good worker. You have to focus. You have to realise. Other people are relying on you. It's, um, I think uh, a lot of maybe younger younger men need that that sort of experience. Mm, I think so too. Bit of uh, some role models while you're while you're young, yeah. and I'm sure they also taught you some work ethic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was it was really crucial that you learn some things that you maybe won't do yourself. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's the really interesting thing is I look back at that that kid really. And I, I'm quite impressed about how strong he was in the end. And I, you know, when you when you move away from mining and move away from fly and fly out, um, you kind of lose this sort of um, uh, strength or the you know this outer armor that you have that you develop, um, you know, and the sacrifice. And you and I look at him and I'm really quite impressed. And I don't know if I could do that again. And uh, and also I've, I think I'm really lazy compared to him these days. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, but I look at him and I just say, oh, he he worked pretty hard. Uh, and, uh, he was he was he did pretty well for himself. And I'm just looking. I don't think I could. I'm like that anymore. 
uh, we've got very, but we have very different goals now. So, yeah. So I think it, it was it was really important you learn that very quickly at a mine site, um, and you can't escape it when you get there. How old are the kids now? Your kids? Uh, I've just got the one. It's a boy, seven. So it just started year two um, this week. Oh, what a that is a lovely age. Seven. Yes, yeah. It's still still cute enough to get away with some things. Yeah, totally. And just they're like sponges, just want to know everything. And um yeah. I know that we have to start wrapping up shortly because our stay at home dad has to go and pick up his wonderful son from school. Um yeah. I've got a couple of questions that we might just finish off with, if that's all right with you. You got time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a got at least half an hour if you, you know. All right. Half, yeah. All right. Cool. Um, when you were in the mines, what did you do with your old PPE? Your hard hats, high vis shirts, boots. Did you ever used to wear them on break, fishing and gardening and stuff like that, or? You never did. No, I. Um, the only thing I brought home with me was really, I think, a couple of tools that I had, which I, I think I stole in the end, because um, <laughs> they, uh, they're the tools I used every day in my job that they gave me, and I just brought them home. I think it was just a shifter, really, uh, <laughs> and my crib bag, but uh, everything else just stayed there. Um, one thing I did, I wore my, you know, when we had. Um, we always we got some shirts that we had printed out uh, with LTI. Hundred one of them was 150 LTI days, and um, another one was uh, so many meters drilled. And I, I wore those on my break a lot. And I think uh, it was funny when I was when I was doing that. I was actually really proud of working, mm. um, and and uh, I, I was really I think for me the because I had um, that time off between school and starting, it was really hard not working or not having work, not knowing what you're meant to be doing with yourself. So as soon as I started working, I felt really proud of that and I felt really proud of those achievements. I was, I was felt like a bit of a company man and I just sort of wore them around. I was, and I think I was proud of it. Um, and it, I think I like the idea of being a part of that crew and contributing to that. Um, was really good. Um, we didn't have high vis didn't exist when I was mining, and uh, which is, which is just uh, the the really funny part about it is our overalls that we wore underground were dark green, and um, they had or dark blue, and they had a couple of reflective strips. And really, it was I look at it, and it was so dangerous mm. because it's just about invisible. I mean, you're in a dark environment and you're wearing a dark, dark grey, uh, dark blue or dark green. Um, so, and you, you just wore coveralls, you know, full, full um, overalls. So they weren't really fashionable outside of the mine site. <laughs> the knee, knee-high gumboots, you know, that didn't really come in handy anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, all the, all your hard hats, everything like that. That was pretty much property of the site, and it just stayed there. And I never even thought to bring it home. Mm. I asked that question because my mum planted some petunias in some old hard hats and made hanging oh, plant hangers and they looked really good and I've kept all my old hard hats. They're kind of in the pool room, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And up here 
oh, you see people all the time. I know they work in the mines and they're mowing their lawn or they're going fishing and they've got their freaking high-vis shirt on. And I've always thought, come on, man, you've been wearing it for the last week, most of us up here week on, week off nowadays. And why? Why? And they think, oh, well, because, you know, why wreck a good shirt? But you have old shirts for that. Oh, so, yeah, it's funny. I interviewed someone a couple of days ago. And he's Gold Coast fella. And he said, you never see anyone down here mowing the lawn in their high-vis shirts either. So <laughs> We had, um, I mean, we, just, we call them your civvies when you, when you fly in, you're wearing, because we didn't, um, yeah, because our, our outfits were just full overalls. You wear your, your, your home clothes to the mine. And I just remember I'd, I'd pack them away and I'd keep them very nice and clean. Um, because on my day home, when I'm coming home, I wanted to sort of just feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm going back back to my normal life and I wanted to wear my normal clothes mm. um, and uh, just, just just sort of, uh, yeah, so I, I, I quite enjoyed just wearing normal clothes. I, I, don't, I don't mind wearing my overalls. They, they were pretty good if you want to do some work under your car, but yeah. um, they're not really for walking the dog. No. You'd look a bit weird going fishing in them too, probably. You'd have to cut the sleeves off or something to be cool. (laughs) Exactly. A tip that I give people too is when you're on site and say you do go to the gym or I suppose at the gym you wouldn't wear your work clothes, but if you're going up the bar or something, go home, have a shower, put some normal clothes on just so you feel like you're having a little bit of a real life instead of, you go and have your beer at the wet mess before you even get to your room. You've still got your crib bag there. You may or may not get and have food <laughs> and then go to your room. You just feel like it's work, sleep, yeah. work, sleep, work, sleep. So at least have some clothes that that you put on at night or in the morning, you know. I, that's a that's the thing I yeah. like to say. And definitely when you're travelling to and from. But some people, I don't know, some, I think over there as well, but, if you fly directly to site and you're on site, you're on the bus, you start work your first day, mm. a lot of times nowadays, and they have to wear their work clothes on the plane. That would suck. Yeah. Brisbane Airport all the time. You can tell the new people too, they got the very shiny clothes and the shiny white hard hats and, yeah, proud yeah. as. I, w- I wouldn't say that our the civvies that we wore were necessarily impressive. More more fashionable. Don't have to be uh, impressive, just homely. (laughs) I mean, it was it was really just tracksuit pants, thongs, and a lot of flannelette shirts. That's exactly what I mean, though, Brett. Your whatever you feel comfortable in, that it it just isn't work. You know, you'll see so many people, and they don't even bring any other clothes. What? Come on. For a lot of years, I was in a mining town and had room in a mining town, so we'd go up to the local club and have tea sometimes or whatever or a few drinks and they go, oh, I'm not going up. I've got to wear my clothes. <laughs> what? <laughs> you haven't even got a T-shirt. Come on. They drive home in it because we did drive in, drive out. So you've got a whole car. You know, I used to load my car up with all my stuff. <laughs> oh, and now what about your steel cap boots? Have you got any stories around those like, have you had any critters inside them? 
Have you ever left them home? Have you ever had blisters? Have they got stolen? Uh, Someone got stolen, had their stolen the other day. Mm. All of our all of our gear just stayed in the change rooms. So yeah. um, you you go to the you know you go from the the camp to the mine. Everything's already there. Sometimes I had to with my with my gum boots. You had to walk walk out into the sumps to go and retrieve a um, a pump. So I'd have to make sure that I'd take my boots off, take my socks off, put my socks in a safe place, put the gum boots back on. You walk out there, come back, and then just pour out the the sump water and put on a pair of dry socks. That was nice. That's a great and, tip. Uh, take your socks off. I like yeah, that. Yeah, well, well, tinny, well, tinny is it. rife. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I hear bamboo socks are good to help with tinea. Yeah, well, that, uh, yeah, you need to need to um, yeah, protect your feet. Mm. Um, especially if you're, you're with the with the service crew, there was a lot of a lot of that. So, um, uh, yeah, but that's with with the steel caps. They were just gum boots. They were very uncomfortable. Um, you know, when you're walking around on rocky terrain, they didn't fit necessarily snugly, but uh, but they were they were great for. Yeah, you didn't have to worry about where you walked. That was pretty good, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, they they can be good. So you taught you you were saying that you'd go from camp and then all your stuff was on site, which is very much an underground thing. And did they do your laundry as well? No, we had to do our own laundry. Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you would bring your bring your overalls back, but your your helmet cap lamp um your belt self-rescuer boots they all stayed there but um yeah i mean when i was working on the service crew you, you had to do you, you always worked out how you could get more overalls so you do less washing or less <laughs> times of washing um that's but cold was, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's so it. uh but on the on the service crew yeah sometimes i would use two sets of overalls a day so um yeah, uh, pretty much nearly every night I had to do some washing or at least every second night, which um, which is, I always found a little bit stressful because you needed to have, uh, you want you wanted a nice set of overalls for the next day, but on the service crew there's a lot of dust and that's thing, you get really covered in it and ideally you don't have to wear them again or you wouldn't want to wear them again. It's a very, it's a very hot hot job because say if you're extending a vent bag, you have to turn the fans off so you, you're working in areas where there's no ventilation so mm. you start sweating and there's dust on everything and um yeah so it, it was always a lot of washing washing to do and and i understand the etiquette and um and waiting around to chuck them in the dryer and um, a couple of times i've come back and yeah they've just sort of chucked and then they've fallen on the ground into the dirt again or something like that it's um and it's the suckiest feeling, isn't it, when you're just that freaking tired, you're ready for bed, you're going to wait for your washing. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you don't want to go back to the laundry in the morning or or whatever, you know. It's, um, yeah, yeah it's, I, I used to hate that feeling too. But I like the idea of, and we've done this, like I, I was mining for 13 years and every year we got our issue of clothes. So you end up with a lot of clothes. So it was good to have more than you needed. So like you say, if you didn't want to wash, you didn't have to. But there are plenty of times I did, especially especially when I changed sites and it's a different shirt, you know, and stuff like that. So 
you've only got yeah. four of them and you're doing seven days, you've got to have to wash at some stage. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, can I ask a question about with the underground guys? I've spoken to a few underground people on the podcast and um, so you, after work, all go and have showers before you go back yep. to camp. How did yep. you find that as a young fella? Because I've heard of lots of shenanigans in the showers, <laughs> in the underground uh, boys. <laughs> well, I don't know about shenanigans, but um, it was it was something I wasn't really prepared for. Um, my first mine, they did have cubicles, which was which was nice, um, and I got changed in the cubicle, and everybody thought I had something to hide. Because um, they and, were all uh, getting changed outside, just yeah, yeah. There was a just a lot of naked men, mm. <laughs> and um, but then at, at the other mine site, it was just a um, a line of shower heads, so no cubicles. So you just had to get over yourself, and um, if you're not feeling comfortable in your body, it's too bad. And but the good thing was there's probably a lot of bodies that are a lot worse than your own, so. <laughs> they no don't give a room. shit, so why should right. you? <laughs> so yeah. if you, you can't, there's no point being vain. You just, yeah, you just get over it. From where your gear was, it was probably a good 15 meter, 15 meter walk to the showers naked. And it was just, uh, it was a very, very odd thing that, yeah. But after three years of being there, I just, yeah, you're over it. <laughs> yeah, um, and I brought that up. So that that's yet again another thing that, say, young fella listening to this, oh, I could go out into the mines, might not even know that that's the case, that that, that happens. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah. if you've been in a footy team and done all the showers and the rah-rah together and all of that, I think they have that sort of bond, not bondage, bonding. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, out in the mines, they might not realise that, that that's the situation. And, uh, yeah, like you say, yeah. just have to deal with it. I don't, yeah, I, I, don't, I think it was um, everybody was too tired to be bothered with annoying anyone or doing any, having, having too much fun in the showers. Um, but it's one of those, it's one of those areas, um, and like with the job itself, that if you've got any hang-ups, or you've got any fears or your concerns, you really just have to get over it really quickly. Mm. Um, and if you're not that type of person, that that's what, that's is when you're going to struggle. Um, if you if you're not going to ask questions, you're not going to, or you're going to be shy. That's um, that's I mean that's a normal. It can be it's a very normal personality trait. But yeah, you, there's there's some experiences and things that you you're just going to have to do. And if you feel like oh you can't do it then you really don't have any alternatives unfortunately so um yeah and it's uh, if if you're not it's going to be a very long and hard time at the at the mine if you don't sort of adjust i um, think it's really yeah. good too if you can find someone early on that you feel like you can open up to a bit and confide in mm-hmm. like to have yeah. i have one very special mate g'day rusty he we used to sit on the back step together take off our boots talk about the day have a beer i could tell him anything he could tell me anything 
and he'd been doing it a lot longer than me. This was later on. I'd already been doing it for a while, but it was around the time that I was struggling the most in mining, I guess, and except for when I first started. But I won't go on about that because my listeners know that story. <laughs> um, and if you can find someone like that, because you can tell your partner at night, but like you say, they they don't they haven't got a clue really. They're not there. You end up saying, "Yep, I drilled some holes. <laughs> you know, yep. I ate my yep. food. I came home. I'm talking to you. Then I'm going to bed, and then I'm going to do it again for the next thirteen days." You need someone yep. that you can say especially if they're on your crew and they understood what happened, you say, well, I don't understand why that happened. What about that guy, especially, you know, as an operator and why did it end up or whatever it is, it could be something that happened or why someone said something or there's so many variables of what it could be. But if you need to talk, you know, we've got all the are you okay and mates in mining, mates in construction, beyond blue, everyone is saying, we have to open up and we have to talk. But if you're stuck out in the middle of a freaking mine somewhere and you haven't got internet, mm. you haven't got a mate, you haven't got anyone except your head that can talk back some really wild stuff at you at times, you know, you need yeah. to have yeah. something, some strategy. So if you can find someone early on that um, you can open up to and be prepared to open up to them as well. They might say, mate, if if you want to know anything, if you're struggling with anything, come and see me and you don't feel like you should, they wouldn't have said it if they didn't mean it because they know it can be shit and hard out there. Yeah. I, the Dave, the um, fitter, one of the loveliest things he did for me very early on was um, he went and got me um, some black plastic and um, some tape to put over my window for night shift. Um, mm. And it, it was one of those things where I wouldn't have, asked for it myself I wouldn't have really you know I was a bit of an idiot 18 year old and uh, I wouldn't have thought to have done that and he you know it was just a little little gesture like that made a made a big difference that's um, huge too that's the, such a big thing you need to be able to black you need those blackouts on for night yeah, yeah yeah and um I mean and that's there, there were probably for me I think there were only really a few moments in the whole time I was doing it where I had a really deep a D&M with someone or you know um, otherwise, it was it was very quiet, and I mean, for me, one thing I, I talk about is I, I messed up quite a few times. I'll admit that I, you know, just really silly things. Um, I left my and as a truck driver, you know, I left I left the tub up one time, and I was charging down to the the portal, and luckily there's this thing that caught the tub and ripped it down, and that could have been really bad. And then the next day, I, I have to host this meeting. The beforehand to tell everyone about what I did. Oh, um, about so, how silly I was! Really? Yeah. So the, that oh, no. that that whole night, you're stewing over it and you think about how how it went wrong. You come into work the next day, and just in case nobody had heard about it, you have to lead a meeting to tell about what you did and how you're going to fix it. And uh, it's it's one of those things that it just. Um, I mean, either it can go a number of ways. Either the people look at you like you're a, you're you are a clown and do you are you there? Are you putting people in danger, or you know, or are they going to come up to you and say, "I oh, I would have done that." Some blokes would probably say, "I would have never have done that in my life." What's wrong with you? Um, that happens. <laughs> You'll but, never um, do it again that, if you have to do yeah, that meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I I think I hosted about four or five meetings. Meetings, I think they they give you the duty, 
You have to own it. That's what they're saying, isn't it? Yeah. And then they say, well, what would you do differently? And I said, well, I'd tell my, I'd tell the fitters to make sure the tub-up alarm's working. <laughs> so that was exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, so can you drive off with the tray up? Because I know yeah. in our truck some of them you can't. You can only idle or, yeah, the tub-up alarm, tray-up alarm we used to call it, yeah. yeah. So it well, wasn't in working. My, in, my service, in my service book I'd written down on there, you know, a cross not working. <laughs> it was on a night shift, you know. It was it was about two or three o'clock. Um, so yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean that that's that's the thing that sort of um, yeah it was. But it was sort of like, well, we need the truck, and we're not going to be able to fix that alarm. So, and it, it might have been like that for a couple of days. So, see, um, and that's yeah. oh, that's the shit bit, right? They say you've got to tell us everything, and then they go, oh, but production says we need that truck. You know, and there's certain things where it's, and I'm pretty sure on most sites I was at, tray up, alarm not working, stand that truck down because we work around high voltage cables a lot up on the yeah. on the surface if you're around drag lines or, or they're on the ground. But, yeah, well, there's just lots of places. That, and if, if that's not working, we weren't allowed to drive it. Um, and yeah. that's the same with you for that, for that exact, that exact, sort of reason but you can have brain snaps I oh I've had I had quite a few I didn't have to lead a meeting about them thank goodness but one guy (laughs) I'll just say one story this guy he was a digger driver but he was in this in a truck for a couple of stints this one night his digger was down or something and he was getting really tired and he (laughs) he went to the digger he was starting to fall asleep right so he's backed in under the digger thought he heard the horn, took off, gone up the dump, <laughs> put the tray up, put it down and gone back. He never got loaded. Never, <laughs> ever got a load. Never got a load. And then I've heard another story of a guy who got loaded, went up the dump, went to the dump, shut his eyes at the tip head, drove back, backed in under the digger, still fully loaded. <laughs> so, you know, these things can happen, and they were all on night shift. I might say, yeah. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it's a long time to concentrate fully, for sure. But I, the biggest I, thing is own up to it. I yeah. I agree. Own up to it. I I fell asleep at the portal while waiting for another vehicle to come up, and uh, I was there for an hour apparently. <laughs> Just parked up. People calling me on the radio, flashing their lights in my eyes. Nobody actually opened the door or anything, but. Uh, yeah, it was about an hour before I woke up. Well, so, see, that uh, yeah. can be that we've had that too a lot of times. You know, trucks lining up, waiting at the digger, and old mates not moving up. Okay, coming around you, you're not getting that positive communication, but everyone knows he's passed out. I'm going real wide, right? Coming in, and then it gets to the point. Well, we got to make sure they're all right because they might have had a heart attack or something. But we weren't like you're not allowed to just hit the emergency stairs and like ladder thing at the bottom to get the stairs to come down and walk up because what if he all of a sudden wakes up and takes off? He could run someone over. So there was a procedure for that and you had to drive a truck in front of that truck, (laughs) high beam on and everything, and so that even if he did wake up or she couldn't drive off. So it it used to happen. (laughs) My one time it happened to me, well, the main time, I was on the water cart. Hosing out a stinking drill, 
<laughs> in the middle of nowhere, like a bit of an explora- ex- yeah, exploration drill, I suppose, and the, um, the cleaning people had rocked up with their sperm suits and all of that and they wanted to, me to come over with a big water cart, give it a, a good hose off with a cannon and everything, and then they had the hose and took it on and were hosing it off and then fill up their little pod and then they'd do whatever they do and I'd go back to work. And it was around two, three o'clock in the morning and I was sitting there and they I had to keep watching because he, you know, give me the thumbs up and because you had to keep your foot on the accelerator to make the pump work for the water to come out. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they had the hose at this stage. It wasn't the cannon. And so I'm watching, yeah, nah, yeah, you know, and then the slit your throat stop kind of signal, so I'd stop. Anyway, next minute, next minute, I wake up and he, the door was open. He's going, you can stop now, love. And I'd fallen asleep <laughs> with my foot flat on the accelerator because I was over there for three hours. I was starving, hungry, I was crying. <laughs> High maintenance, I told you, stinking drillers. <laughs> uh, as long as that happens on night shift, it's not so bad. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. But a good point is that fatigue can set in at any time. Because a lot of people oh, yeah. come back and they're really tired and it's their first day and people will say, you just had seven bloody days off, but you don't know what happened on those seven days off. Might have hit a kangaroo on the way out here this morning or you, you, you don't know. It's if you're tired, <laughs> pull up, mate. Have a, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose we really should start wrapping up now. Um, I have one final question. What is your special place, Brett, when life turns to shit? How do you personally handle tough times and what are your strategies to hang out there? What do you do? I, I really like to exercise and, I mean, my favourite favorite thing I get to do, which you don't get to do on a, on a mine site, is I like to go mountain biking, which, and, and I used to do a bit of indoor rock climbing as well. I'm a bit sore for that these days. But the thing I like about those is I can't think of anything else because I have to concentrate on not falling off things. So I um, that, that's a good good stress relief. Anything that can stop your head thinking about things, that's what I like to do. So mount, mountain biking is probably my favourite thing. Do you wear the gloves and all that? Like me? I, I wear knee pads and, yeah, I've... I've come off my bike many times and you need anything when you get a bit older, anything to help you get back up is important. Bit of protection, yeah, because they, they hike along, don't they, those bikes, especially yeah, down here. Trees, <laughs> trees don't move. No, <laughs> and rocks. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I used to race yeah. motorbikes and I, I'd see them pedalling away. I'm like, bugger that. <laughs> that looks yeah. like too much hard work for me. Same sort of terrain. Yeah. It might as well be a motorbike track. Looks yeah, awesome. Well, you've got to concentrate on those too. Yeah, yeah. You Well, at least you'll be nice and fit. That's good. You... <laughs> trying, trying. Yeah. Well, in closing, Brett, do you have anything you're super excited about right now that you'd like to share or is there anything else you'd like to say to call this episode complete for you? Oh, well, I'd probably like to just say thanks for having me, actually. That's probably what I'd it's, – it's been um, – uh, a long time coming, and I know you've got a lot of lot of other people you're trying to see, but um, I was, I'm really happy that we've finally got to have a chance to have this chat, and it was um, it's good fun. This is my first first more informal chat about it, which I which I quite liked. Yeah, and so I really thank you for that. Oh, I'm glad that we finally got around to it, 
and it's not always other people. It's just time. I'm just trying to get them out. You know, I'm lucky to get one out a month, but at the moment I'm on a roll. I might even get three this month. So, it's, yeah, it's, I'm trying. Um, but thank you. I've really enjoyed this chat and it's I will share links so everyone knows where to get your book or have you got a website you'd like them to go to? Yeah, I've got a website, Facebook page and, yeah, a couple of things, yeah. So it's just a boyminer.com, is it? I've got it over here. Uh, yeah, I think I'll get, I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I shall find it and leave a link in the show notes. Well, it's time to say goodbye now. We could chat all day and I have been known to... Thanks, Brett. Thank you. See you. Well, what did you reckon? What a fantastic chat. We covered so many things and I know that this conversation is going to help so many people, those already in their mining journey, families, wives, people trying to get in. Hello to all my wannabes. You know I love you and I'm trying. (laughs) Yeah, Fantastic. I love, love, loved it. And as the editor, I'm really honoured that I get to listen to it quite a few times as I'm tweaking and trying to make it the best quality that I can for you. So remember to buy the book, A Boy Minor, and show your support to Brett. And um, also, you know, the book covers a lot of other things as well. And in his words, without Mad Mumsy, putting her two bobs worth in. So head over to the show notes for all the links that we spoke about in this episode, which will be madmumsy.com forward slash beers 68. And now more than ever in this coronavirus world, as I record this, stay safe, be real, be special and look after your mates for we only live once. Cheers. Cheers.